church. It is a great start to the Holy Week as we uh, celebrate Palm Sunday and the triumphal uh, entry. You know, I, I remember as a kid doing exactly what our kiddos did this morning and uh, just remembering how great it is to let our kids know and to, to share that Scripture is real. That it's not a bunch of stories, it's not something that happened, but it's real. And, and when we talk about the Bible being a story, it's not some fictional made-up story. It, it's a real story. And that's a, kind of the difference between my kiddos growing up. Ashley, when, I was, uh, when she was little, she always wanted me to create stories for her. Anyone ever have a, y'all have a kid like that? They're like, they don't want you to read a book. They want you to make up a story in it. That was, that was her, her favorite one was about the one that her Nana told her was about the one with the bean. And, and her grandmother was like, I don't even remember what that was. So we just, we did that. Connor, on the other hand, he didn't like the made up stories as much, but he enjoyed the real life stories. And, and those were fun for me to tell because those weren't just bedtime stories. Those were getting to share in something awesome. And, and I remember uh, friends coming over at different times and Connor saying, hey, Dad, tell them about the time when. Have you ever had those moments where someone's been around and your kid's like, oh, tell them this story. And there's a reason for that. They want to relive that story with you because they're owning it through you. And, and for Connor, when he was a child, that was about the time when I proposed to Christy because my friends had to hide from us and they hid in the girls' bathroom and they had to jump in a dumpster and all kinds of things. They were great friends. We don't talk anymore. But no, no we didn't. But he, he loved that and he shared in that story. It, it was real. It was my story. But in our life, he, he shared in that, and he delighted in that. And that made me think of the book of Mark. If you don't know, Mark was not one of the 12 disciples in the circle that Christ had with him. Uh, we know from Scripture in the book of Acts that Mark followed with Paul and that he walked with Paul for a while, but then something happened and he, Barnabas and Paul split because Mark chose to go a different way than Paul on a, on a journey, and then Paul said, well, listen, then that's it. You're not traveling with me any, anymore. And so, so that kind of split in that, that process, and although the Bible shows that they reconciled, tradition goes that Mark didn't give up on serving the Lord in that moment just because of that difficulty. But tradition says he became an interpreter for Peter when Peter was preaching in Rome. Remember, Peter was just a fisherman. He, he wasn't educated like Paul. He didn't have dual citizenship, but we know he preached in Rome. And, and so tradition shows that Mark was his interpreter, and, and many, many believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write the words of Peter's account of the story of Jesus Christ. And, and it just made me think about how I remember watching Connor when he was young, and I remember with my grandfather asking him to tell me his stories over and over again. I remember those aren't lifeless moments, are they? Those are real moments. Those are exciting moments. They're not moments that need to be exaggerated. And, and I, what I mean by that is there are some stories that we told um, when we were younger, like, you know, some when I played soccer, I kicked, a, I kicked a goal from a long way away. And 40 times later, I was three parks away and kicked it so hard off an airplane it went in. You know what I'm saying? There are some stories that don't need your exaggeration and my exaggeration because they're just that good. 
And when we look at Scripture, when we walk into the word uh, of Mark about this journey through Holy Week and this entrance into it, I can just imagine that here is Mark hearing Peter just preach day in and day out, retelling the story of Jesus, retelling his real life witness of who Jesus was and how the events unfolded, knowing that every word he wrote was the way that God changed the world. And so I wonder, even as Mark penned these words, inspired by the Spirit, most likely through Peter's testimony, if his heart started to race thinking that he was writing the words of the account of the one who changed history, not just for those who were before him, but for those who are forever. And that's what we're going to look at in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. This account is just before we see this triumphal entry of Christ. Just before we get involved, just before we get in the middle of things, we have this story of Jesus leaving Jericho. And to kind of give you a picture of how things worked out, uh, Jericho was kind of the entry point to uh, Judea. It was really the entry point into the Jerusalem area. So Jesus on his way in, in the morning most likely, made his way into Jericho. And Jericho was not the Jericho of old that the walls came tumbling down. This was the new Jericho just south of there. Herod had built his winter palace there. I mean, in the desert, you need a summer and a winter home is basically how it works. And so in that, Jesus would have come in in the morning, and most likely that would have been the morning when he saw Zacchaeus up in the tree. And he says, I'm going to your house today. We've probably been talking about what we would call lunch and after that meal, he's making his way out of town. It's about an 18-mile hike from Jericho to Jerusalem. So it's a long walk. And so as they would have gotten out and started on their way, they would have found themselves on the outskirts of town, leaving Jericho, going in to Jerusalem. And Jesus knowing everything that was going to occur. In verse 46, Mark pins these words. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great and a great crowd, <clears throat> Bartimaeus, a beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, this may seem like nothing, but I want to let you know, if you check out and fall asleep, this verse actually gives you the big picture. It tells you the end before the, the end gets there. So those of you who like to have a spoiler so that you can enjoy the movie and not worry if someone's going to make it to the end, this is your spoiler. It's one of the reasons that we know that Mark was listening as inspired by the Spirit to this story from someone who knew the whole picture. Sometimes we read the Bible thinking that the one who penned it didn't know what was going to come next. But the Holy Spirit inspired it. And here in verse 46, we get a picture of what is happening and what will happen and just wrapped up, tucked in, in a clue by Mark. It says, first of all, as he was leaving town with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, I, I want you to know Bartimaeus is this, this blind man on the outside of town. That's not spectacular. In fact, I would tell you that blind beggars were a dime a dozen. Beggars were a dime a dozen, and they didn't even need a name anymore. 
There were routines they fell into. They knew where to sit where people would be most generous. Normally, it was on the outskirts of town, either coming in or leaving. Because the new people who were coming and going, they may be more generous than the people that see you every day in and out and wonder why you're still sitting there on the side of the road. They, they wouldn't have sat far from the road, but they would have sat far enough away not to actually get, accidentally get trampled. They didn't sit in the road, but on the side of the road, they were there. And so if a crowd were coming through, blind Bartimaeus and other beggars, they weren't moving quickly. And so they would just get caught up in the, tr in the crowd and everyone would have to walk around them because they were nobody. And as I started to think about who Bartimaeus was up until this day, I started to think about his routine. I started to think about his life. I mean, he may have had dreams as a child, but they have long been gone away by the realities of adulthood. He, he no longer had grand ideas of what could happen by the end of the day. His day consisted of waking up in the morning, trying to put something quick in his body, having someone lead him to work and sit by the road as he hoped that his cup would be full so that he could have a meal and keep a house over his head and go to bed and wake up and do it again and do it again and do it again. And when I thought about Bartimaeus, I thought, boy, how similar is that to life? I mean, have you ever thought in your life that, that somewhere as a child you had a dream? You, you had a thought, this is what the Lord could use me to do, or this is who I'm going to be. And your mom didn't help because she said you can be whatever you want to be, right? Oh, sorry, mom. You know, and, and you had this dream, and then somewhere along the way, maybe some bad decisions, maybe some things that were outside of your control, maybe life just happened, and all of a sudden, your day is a whole lot like Bartimaeus's, where you get up in the morning, try to get some sustenance, go do something that really isn't going to make a difference in the big scheme of things. Maybe your hope is that one day, uh, one special day, your cup is filled and you, you believe that there is hope and you go to bed happy and the next day you go and you do the same thing and your cup's not filled but at least it's got something in it and so you go to bed and think, well, I survived another day and then there are some days where you go to work, you go through life, you go through the day, your cup is empty, no one has paid attention, it's like you don't exist and you're wondering, is this all there is? is I just thought Bartimaeus is a blind beggar on the side of the road but the reality is we all have encountered the brokenness that sin has caused to our life and it's caused to the world and it's amazing how it sucks in this routine of survival with a highlight of a full cup once in a while and that's what we look forward to that was how Bartimaeus, I think, woke up this morning. But here's the clue. Mark writes that as Jesus was leaving town and a great crowd with him, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. This wasn't just a beggar. He had a name, and his name was attached to his father. 
you wrote down a name as an identifier. I, I did something fun because I, I thought, I wonder about this. In my family, my oldest brother, we, that my parents passed down their name. And so my oldest brother is the fourth. His dad was the third. His dad was junior and his dad was the first, right? So I don't know if you've got any, anything like that in this world. So I just looked at what was in a name. Why do we pass down a name? What's important about being the son of someone? And, and what's hilarious is in 1980, there was a study that sons who shared the same names of their father got in less trouble. It's a really shady story. It's a horrible thing that's done. Like, it's really not, I wouldn't bank my life on it. But here was the conclusion of the author. Like, I really giggled outside. This makes sense because a kid's constantly aware that he's carrying that name. It's kind of like having dad breathe down your neck all the time. I thought, yeah, that would totally make me behave right living life thinking dad you're always there i mean i know i know my family would love that not at all that that's not why bartimaeus was the son of timaeus it, it wasn't to to try to keep him in line after this miracle was done it's because bartimaeus became somebody that would be the only reasons to put the identifier in there and and the great thing is we know at the end of the story who he became he was Bartimaeus, the ton of, son of Timaeus. And, and why do we say that? Because you need to know that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Bartimaeus over there. You know Bart that meets you on the road, that guy, the guy in Bibles, that guy. It, it's not that he became rich. It's not that he became powerful. It's not that he became influential. Here's why. He became a disciple of Christ Jesus. And, and here's why all of a sudden this blind beggar has a name. Because when you and I have a, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you and I are called out by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then your name matters. Why? Because it is written in the Lamb's book of, of life. It will never be crossed out. You will never be nobody again. You will never be just one person caught up in sin and the rush of the world. You are no longer separated from God. And so your name matters. And I believe with all that I can, as I see Bartimaeus' name written down, what the church valued wasn't who could give the most or who came the most often. It was that this man became a disciple of Christ Jesus. And everyone from now on would, we, would need to know it. After he's named, we find out what happened, why this is such an important thing. Look in your Bible at verse 47. This is what Scripture says. We'll read down through verse 48. It says, And when he, this is Bartimaeus, heard that Jesus, the son of Nazareth, was coming in, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now this is where it begins. The, the, the start of the story was to give us the big picture. But it all begins in verse 47. And so as we look at, Lord, how do we move from just being somebody lost in the crowd, blind to hope, to a disciple of Christ Jesus, it starts kind of like this. You see, Bartimaeus, sitting on the side of the road, gets a, a rumor, a whiff of something. That Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the miracle worker, is coming to town. And, and what he says when he calls out is, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And this son of David's a real title. It's, it's linked to the Messiah. And, and here's what I know. I don't think Bart knew what he was saying. I'm pretty sure he didn't go to the library and look up the lineage of Christ to realize that Jesus was in the lineage of David. And a pretty good idea of that because he was blind. Amen? Like, we know he couldn't research it all. So what was he doing? How did he come to the conclusion that Jesus was one worth screaming to for mercy because he was the son of David? It had to only be by sitting on the side of the road, hearing the travelers come and go, talking about Jesus. It had to only be from some who were probably the faithful disciples talking about what Christ had said or taught. Others just hearing rumors about could he be the one. Some talking about the fish. Others talking about the healing of, of the lame. You see, I think there's a trick that we'd stumble into. We think we have to know everything about Jesus before we cry out to him. But that wasn't Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus only knew what he had heard. He hadn't even encountered him personally. And yet in that moment, he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And in that, very quickly, he gets rebuked. He doesn't know, I think, all that Jesus is. But he gets shut down in a hurry. Is he embarrassing people? Is he pushing people around? I don't know. But I started thinking, what was Peter thinking talking to Mark? Or what would have Mark been thinking writing it down? I don't know if you have moments in your life that if you were just to close your eyes, you could go back there and relive that moment again. I mean, we think they're important moments. Moments when we get married. Moments when a child is born. I can tell you where I was every time I surrendered to the call for the Lord to call me somewhere else and I was going to follow where he lead. I could tell you what I was singing behind the lawnmower when I was sitting on the front steps of my, my porch at the house. I, I can tell you those moments and if I closed my eyes, it would take very little to get there again. I wonder if Peter in this moment, I wonder if Mark inspired by the Spirit in this moment, it just went to that place. Here's Bartimaeus. He depends on the people who are rebuking him for life. They are how he lives. If he rocks the, the, the barrel, so to speak, if, if he rocks the boat, if he steps in the wrong way, his life is on the line and he is shouting out and he is speaking words that are embarrassing, that are drawing attention away from the focus that they want it and they are trying to shut him down. And in a moment, he has to make this decision. Is Jesus worth the risk? Is he worth it? Because if I keep this up, I don't know what it will cost me. It could cost me everything. It could cost me nothing. Church, you don't have to know everything about Jesus to cry out to him. But you have to be willing to say, He's worth the risk. And so he cries out louder and louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. I wonder if Peter, just seeing this, he, he goes back to what the stories that Jesus told him. It only takes faith like a mustard seed. 
It doesn't take a lot of faith to move a mountain from here to there. It's just a mustard seed. Pat, Jesus, why couldn't we get this demon out of this man? And you could. It only comes out through prayer. It's not your effort. It's not based on what you know or what you do. It's just depending on me. I wonder if he thought of Jesus scattering the seed and telling the story of the sower and talking about the kingdom of God and how people receive it and how it shoots up. I wonder if he remembers seeing Bartimaeus cry out and think faith is budding. I don't know if it will bear fruit, but faith is budding. What would be the stench of death the next day when the Pharisees heard the people cry out, Hosanna, son of David, was this incense of beauty to the blind man on the side of the street. And Jesus was worth the risk to him because he depended on, he needed the mercy of God. Is this how your faith began? Can you remember, if you have a relationship with Jesus, what it started like? If you haven't, this is where it starts. We don't know it all, but it's going to cost you something. Did you let a rebuke stop? Were you embarrassed that you're too old to believe in Jesus? That's something you're supposed to do as a child before you come to faith before an adult but now if if you confess Christ if you take a risk on him it could cost you everything in fact all the people that you do life with it could cost you if you abandon them for Jesus is it worrying that the the world may choke you out or the fear and shame of your path could keep you quiet I wonder if Peter stopped right here and prayed with, with Mark. I wonder if he said, you know, I had a moment like this, Mark. John records it. Jesus had just talked about how he was the bread of life. And whoever wanted to follow him had to eat his flesh. I wonder if he said, Mark, in that moment, I was in blind Bartimaeus' shoe and so would everybody else. And everybody else stood up and walked away. It was just too hard. Faith was too much. The cost was too high. And Jesus turned and he looked at us. He looked at the 12 of us and he said, would you leave me too? I wonder if in that moment Peter said, Mark, I didn't know what else to say. I turned and I said, Lord, you hold the keys and the words of eternal life. Where else could we go? Church, faith buds with a confession. Believing that the one who you will never fully know until you are with him in glory is worth the risk of everything that you have. Peter kept going. As Paul wrote, and Jesus stopped, excuse me, as Mark wrote, and Jesus stopped and said in verse 49, call him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he is calling you. 
Then throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. The crowd was rebuking him and, and, and Bartimaeus is risking it all. People are saying, be quiet. But when Jesus hears him, he doesn't reject him. He doesn't say, quickly, go tell me what he's done. Go tell me where he's been. Quickly, go tell me what he's said. Go tell me who's offended and I'll decide if I can help him. He doesn't care where he's been. He already knows. But when Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus, Jesus does not reject him. He calls out to him. And do you know what the voice of the Lord does to all creation? It shuts it down. Gosh, could you remember Peter seeing it in real life? Tell him to come here. And he said, listen, I can imagine all of a sudden, guys, Mark, listen, they were all telling this guy to be quiet. And then Jesus is like, come here. And they were all like, just kidding. Get up. You're the man. Let's do it. Like, it was amazing. It was kind of like when we were on that boat. And the storm was raging. And he just said, be quiet. I don't think Bart knew that the one who he was calling out to had that kind of authority. But he did. And the joy of this moment, Bartimaeus now has to be called on the carpet. This invitation goes out. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, come into life. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And Bartimaeus, this is your morning. So get up. It's not enough, church, to cry out to Jesus. That is insufficient for salvation and life. But when he calls back to you, when he calls out to you, you must abandon where you are and you must go where he is. Because he will not leave his throne. He will not belittle himself. But he will reach out to you. Bartimaeus, get up. Take courage. This is your moment. He is calling you. And the Bible says in verse 50, throwing off his coat, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Man, Paul would say, throw off the chains that so easily bind you. Leave it behind. You're not going to be a beggar in just a minute. Are you willing to believe it? When Christ calls to you, are you willing to say, God, it's on your terms, not my terms. I'll take it. I mean, the picture is awesome. I mean, Bartimaeus is not a 16-year-old track star sitting on the side of the road like a gotcha moment. So when it says Bartimaeus sprang up, threw up his cloak, and he went to Jesus, could you imagine in a crowd a blind man springing up? If he did it in a hurry, he probably took out eight people. Y'all feel me on that? Like, it wasn't graceful. And I don't think he cared. You see, when you hear and know Jesus, and he calls to you, and he answers your cry, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You just take courage 
and you leave whatever you have to leave and you run to him and if it is goofy and awkward and it doesn't look like what everybody else is doing don't worry about it you see I, I think a lot of times in our life we get caught up thinking that we're different than Bartimaeus thinking that we should already have it all together, thinking that when we come to him, our life should be cleaned up enough to be respectable to make it through the crowd. That's not it. You do not clean yourself up and heal yourself before you meet Jesus. You run to him, leaving behind everything that you can in your filth, needing a bath, coming to the only one who has the ability to give you what you need. It's not clean, it's messy. And when he came to Jesus, I love verse 51. Jesus asked him like the question, and I, I can imagine Peter's face reliving it. I can imagine him saying, and, and listen, Mark, he sprang up and he ran to Jesus, this blind man kind of coming through, and he gets to Jesus, you know, he can't see him. And they said, here he is. And Jesus says, hello, Jesus. And Jesus says, how are you? And then Jesus asked him a question. He says, listen, what do you want me to do for you? And the crowd's like, he's blind. He wants to see, you know, it's like, that's the worst question that anyone's ever asked. How can this guy be the Messiah? What do you want? Ah, new car. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus knew. But he wanted the confession to be owned, to be heard. Listen, speaking of an internal truth matters. Right? It matters in big things. It matters in small things. My children know I'm proud of who they've become. But they need to hear it from me. That every time my son is up here, I'm proud of his testimony. My wife needs to hear how I delight in my heart about who she is regularly. Why? Because it's the confession of truth. That, that's a fragment, that's a mirror that's, that's just a, a, a shadow of the confession that we should bring to Christ Jesus Th that we should come before him and when he says what do you want from me that we have to be willing to say well that, 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 that's easy, let me tell you what I need let me tell you what I, what I want he says I want to regain and recover my sight, but he puts a word in there that we can't miss. In your Bible and my Bible, what's the word? Rabbi. And rabbi is, is the right interpretation, but it's not quite the right word. The word there in the Greek is really rabboni. It's only said one other place in the whole gospel account. In John chapter 20, in verse 16. Let me set that scene up for you. Jesus has died. It's Sunday morning. Mary is on her way to the tomb with the other women. Hands full of spices to anoint their Lord's body. And they get there and the stone is rolled away and he is gone. And someone's inside saying he is not here. And they are broken and they are disheartened. They are probably having a hard time breathing. And a guy walks up to them and says, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm having, do you not know? Why do you ask questions like that? 
She said, just tell me where he is. Confession. And the man is not a gardener. He says one word, Mary. And she looks up and she sees Jesus and she says, Rabboni, my teacher and my master. Blind Bartimaeus didn't walk with Jesus like the disciples and the, Mary and the other disciples that followed him. He only knew on a whisper. He heard of his name. He risked it all. He came to him. And when Jesus asked a question that everyone knew the answer to, he didn't just say, here's what I want. He said, my teacher and my master. I'll bring it to you. Is that the confession of your heart? You're not a beggar on the side of the road. But outside of Jesus Christ, you don't have it all together. You don't have it all making sense. And I wonder if you and I have cried out to Jesus a thousand times and felt, well, that was it. I wonder if, if you've even said, I'm going to cry out to Jesus and I'm going to try and change this sin-filled behavior, this sin-filled part of my life. And I've tried it and it keeps letting me down. Well, the question is not, have you cried out or have you come to him? The question is, when he asks you what you want, did you call him Lord? Did you call him master? Or is he just something you do that you hope one day pays off? like investing in the stock market. Rabboni, my teacher and my master. Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I think this is my favorite part because it's subtle. Because Jesus, after he heals Bartimaeus and after he's gone and done all of this in front of the big crowd, he says, okay, go your way. And Bartimaeus says, done. Your way is my way. And when Mark penned the words and he followed him on the way, every believer who would ever read those words would know he was now a follower of the way. So he wasn't just a blind beggar. Jesus had changed him. And so now he was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, disciple of Christ Jesus. And the next day, as he walked into town, he would see people with palm branches crying out the same words that he did. Save us, son of David. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I don't know what Bartimaeus felt or thought, but I, I can imagine what I would have thought. I would have thought this is incredible. 
I don't think I would have tried to have judged who was being honest and who wasn't. How much Jesus had done for them versus how much he had done for me. I think if Jesus would have just wrecked me like that, I would have just been saying, you are worth it all. And these people are risking the threat of the Pharisees and some may fall and some may stand, but you're worth the risk. And so on this Palm Sunday, as we begin Holy Week, I want you to know you and I might as well be blind beggars. But in Christ Jesus, you have a name. Not because you earned it, but because he has mercy. And this is the start of the week of his passion of Holy Week. So this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know if your story can mirror Bartimaeus and like Peter, you love just whispering and witnessing of it to others. Or maybe you have cried out a million times and Jesus has let you down and you just came to church today because your wife begged you. It doesn't matter how you got to the side of the road. Will you cry out to him and come to him and risk it all and trust him as your Lord and Savior? That is where life is found and that is why Peter said there's nowhere else to go. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. What an amazing reality on this Palm Sunday that here was a blind man shouting words that would be shared the next day at the triumphal entry. Speaking words to the Savior that his closest disciples would speak to him in the garden and not knowing a thing about it. Lord Jesus, I was a blind beggar and you had mercy on me. Lord, I know this room is filled with people who have followed you and made your way our way. But this morning, Lord, if there are some that have strayed from that way, would you call them back? Would you allow them to raise their voice and say, Jesus, Son of David, King of kings and Lord of lords, have mercy on me again. Would you invite them in forgiveness to walk with you? You designed them for it. Father God, if there is a man or a woman, boy or girl in this room today that has heard the whispers of Jesus but never felt like it was enough, they always felt like they needed more, today would you let your presence drawing near to them do what Mark showed over and over and over again, that you are unequal. Would you let him rise up, confess you, my master, my teacher. Give me mercy. I want to make your way my way. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.